Hey there, and welcome to episode 13 of the Drinkable Gold podcast. This is lucky number 13. I am your host, Jeff Cialetti, and I've got an announcement. Uh, I've got a book coming out, a new one. It is my fourth book. It's called Sockipedia, and it is now available for pre-order. It comes out February 13th, I believe, 12th or 13th, one of those days. Um, and it's available at uh, Amazon IndieBound uh, and wherever fine books are sold. And in the meantime, if you still need to stock up on holiday gifts, I've got three other books available. Uh, the Year of Drinking Adventurously, The Drinkable Globe, and Beer FAQ. Those are also available now anywhere fine books are sold. And we've got a bit of a fun episode this week. I know I say that every time, but uh, this is particularly fun. Uh, it's with Brian Davis, uh, one of the co-founders of the Lost Spirits Distillery in Los Angeles. They made some headlines a few years back because they have a very unique, speedy aging process for their spirits. For a while, they were just operating as a tech company, licensing the process to other distillers. But uh, once they moved back to L.A., they were in Northern California for a while. Once they moved back to L.A., they opened up a new distillery, and it's kind of a theme park. And I know you can say that a lot about a lot of distilleries, a lot of the distillery experiences. You say it about breweries. Oh, it's like going to Willy Wonka or something like that. But no, this really is like a theme park. There are elements of like Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Twin Peaks, and just uh, crazy jungle boat rides and things like that, anything you've done at Disney. And it's a lot of fun. You know, regardless of what you may think about rapid aging, we're not here to make a value judgment on um, whether you can cheat father time or not. Um, you know, they make some pretty tasty spirits, so I'm not going to argue with that. But you should definitely go to the Lost Spirits Distillery in downtown LA. It's just something else to do when you're in LA and it's very Hollywood, which is very appropriate, because like I said, it is a bit of a theme park. And it's not just all fun. I was actually surprised on how informative the tour actually was. You get a pretty comprehensive education on the distilling process. And I was surprised by that because, you know, you do get a fair amount of it at other distillery tours too. But here, you know, you think it's all going to be show, all flash. But no, they actually go pretty deep on how everything's made. I highly recommend. Tried to get uh, Brian's partner, Joanne, on as well, but she was a little microphone shy. I, I left the part in where we tried to get on, and so it's mostly just Brian talking. But here we go with Brian Davis from Lost Spirits Distillery. You've got quite the operation here. I am here with Brian Davis of Lost Spirits Distillery in LA, which is a destination in itself. There, I've been to hundreds, probably somewhere near a thousand distilleries in the world and various parts of the world and all over the country, and I've never seen anything like this. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, somebody had to do it. Yeah, somebody had to do it, and <laughs> and it had, to, of course, it had to be L.A. because it's Hollywood. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You know, kind of following your progression. You know, a couple of years ago, everybody was talking about uh, your sort of rapid aging technique, which you're still doing. But now the big story is your little theme park you've got here. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, let's let's before we get into that, let's go back a bit. 
tell me about Lost Spirits, how you got started. Um, you were you started up north in it initially, correct? And yeah. So uh, so I mean, I guess the the, the sort of three second pre Lost Spirits backstory is um, Joanne and I sold off a absinthe distillery in Spain, mm-hmm. and then we moved back to the United States, and we ended up setting up on a, a sort of I don't know how you describe it a mud pit in the middle of an artichoke field after <laughs> we sold the absinthe distillery in Spain. And, uh, and we looked at the space, and we knew we wanted to stay in the distillery world. We had had, uh, we had, had so much fun uh, in our 20s running the distillery in, uh, outside of Barcelona the, that we had you know, friends all over the industry, distributors in multiple countries, mm-hmm. uh, had a ball doing it, and just decided this is what we're going to do. And uh, the only problem was we didn't have any money, yeah, that's, that's which, a is a, which is an <laughs> issue when you're trying to open a distillery. And, uh, and so we sat around thinking, well, you know, how hard can this stuff be? Okay, you know, we could scrounge up uh, between friends and family and, uh, and an old business colleague and hit some of his friends and family. We scrounged up 80000 bucks to open a distillery, uh, which sounds like a lot of money, but... Uh, it doesn't actually sound like no, a lot at all, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's normally amount of, about enough money to buy basically one still. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we had to cover our permitting costs and all the rest of that stuff, and so... Uh, we sat down and looked at the place and went, okay, well, copper sheets aren't that expensive. We can ha- learn how to shape copper and how to do copper smithing, and then we can form our own stills that way. Yeah. Uh, we ran into a bit of a snag with the boiler uh, because it was $9,000 to get the boiler on a lease deal, and that was the down payment on the lease. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up finding, Joanne found one on Craigslist for 500 bucks, broken apart in a basement, but it came wow. in 40 pieces. Oh, that sounds like fun. Uh, yeah, so we got all 40 pieces of the boiler back to the distillery, and uh, that was my first taste of um, thermodynamics as an engineering thing and not a hypothetical concept from school. Uh, and so I downloaded the uh, repair manual and, uh, and sat there figuring out how to wire this thing, figuring so, out how so to... So you don't, you don't have an engineering background? No, I actually don't. Um, this was my first uh, real taste of doing any of our own engineering. Uh, it was figuring out how to put the boiler back together. Uh, and then, of course, you know they said works perfectly when you haul it out of the basement. But as soon as you get it there and you get all forty pieces back together, it's like okay, yeah. it doesn't work. And, and then I got to learn how to troubleshoot one of these guys, um, and managed to figure out and resolve the uh, the mystery on there, which was a bad low water cutoff sensor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then rewired it and got it operational. And then figured out how to plumb the steam lines to connect it up to the stills. Built the stills. Built the steam coils. Uh, built the fermentation tanks out of sheet copper. So you pretty much can have an honorary engineering degree at this point. <laughs> I'm waiting to get an honorary engineering degree, actually. <laughs> Maybe someday. But, uh, but so after we yeah, figured out... Maybe uh, UCLA or USC, see if they'll, they'll throw you something. Probably Davis is my best bet. But okay. yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, so after we got the thing put together and got the distillery built, um, then I got really into the chemical engineering side. Of, uh, of how the distilled spirits age in barrels. Mm-hmm. And it was mostly, it wasn't actually because I couldn't afford to lay down the barrels. We'd actually managed to figure out how to get to where we could afford to buy some barrels. And, and we got really clever with it. You know, we were, um, we became friends with some of the cult wineries in Napa and stuff like yeah. that. And we were out picking up casks from them. And so we were, we'd accumulated 80 barrels actually by the time we stopped using them. And, uh, and what I was really trying to do with the, the aging aspect was I was trying to figure out how to tell if I had the right distillation cuts and how to tell if I was using the right yeast strain. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you, you take for granted uh, these distilleries that have been around for hundreds of years, but in the hundreds of years that they've been operational, they've had time 
you know, from earlier times where people didn't have the same kind of choice that you have today. Yeah. You know, if you had a distillery in town and they made whiskey, that was the whiskey you were going to buy because it's in town. Yeah. Uh, and so over the course of decades and decades and centuries, they spent time figuring out which yeast strain they were going to use, figuring out which distillation cuts they were going to take, figuring out that, you know, used Cabernet barrels made of Hungarian oak from this cooperage paired with that grain and that yeast strain, mm -hmm. and then their distillation cuts at this point, like that's their sweet spot. Yeah. And then from there, they can make small deviations from that and get all kinds of great interesting things that is, you know, whiskey connoisseurs we love, uh, right? But uh, they're all within a pretty tight, narrow range because over the course of all those years, they've they've narrowed that range and they know where their parameters are. Yeah. And so for us, it's like, okay, you're a brand new distillery and you're going to make whiskey, which is where we started. Like, how do you know which distillation cut, which yeast strain, which grain, which barrel type, what used source of the barrel? Should we, what? I'll take a break here. Oh, it's just a truck going yeah. by. It's no big deal. Uh, or what used source of the grain or what, you know, uh, I'm sorry, used source of the barrel. You know, all those questions, what level of char do you want toasted? You know, trying to narrow all that stuff down. And then we threw a new variable in because we used weird peat. Because we'd go harvest our own peat from strange locations all over the world. Yeah. And so now it was like, okay, well, does the Canadian peat go with this kind of barrel? Or is that better if we use the Florida Everglades peat? You know, and so on and so forth. And so we were trying to figure out how to... Or what I was trying to do was to rapidly prototype an approximation where I could get some kind of crude sketch mm -hmm. to go, okay, you know, I want... American oak from that cooperage combined with this yeast combined with that peat combined with that grain and yeah. then put all those together so that I knew five years later when I went to go open those barrels up I'd end up getting something that I wanted to drink because mm -hmm. that was my biggest fear was that you'd take all of the money you had in the world fill all of these barrels and then you'd go open them you know years later and go I can't drink this yeah you know, I'm certainly not going to sell it right uh, and so you know the thing is the conventional wisdom said that the part of the barrel aging process that took so long was the uh, sterification. I know I'm running through the entire old story that's sort of ancient news, sort of ancient news. To prove that um, the conventional wisdom was wrong, a sterification in barrels is actually catalyzed by something in the wood. Mm -hmm. um, for many years, they thought it was uncatalyzed. Uh, this gets more nerdy in science yeah, than yeah, people yeah. usually want it. Uh, but once we were able to show that, from there it became possible to theoretically recreate the aging process. And then I spent the next seven years doing nothing but chemistry work mm. uh, to try and figure out how to do it. And then when we did, we stopped using barrels. And, uh, and then we just shut down the distillery entirely and started just licensing technology and moved to Silicon Valley. Mm. And that got really boring. So there wasn't, you, you, you didn't set out like when you were started up, like, we're going to we're going to reinvent the aging process. You were going through the conventional method. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah, no, we had no intention of doing it whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the irony was that after we figured out how to, how to get past the problem of the catalyzed part, that made it possible. Then it was seven more years of figuring out fine-tuning, coming oh up with a strategy for breaking <laughs> the polymers down. And, and then another year after we got close to figure out how to fine-tune it to match the ratios up. And, and then after we did it, we sort of went like, okay, this is actually, like, worth something to someone, you yeah. know? And so we figured, like, okay, we're going to go... The, our first battle plan was we're going to go open a distillery using this, and we're going to introduce the world to it, and we're going to do it differently than we're doing it here because it, it, won't, it won't feel right in, like, the mom-and-pop house distillery that we had built in Monterey County. Yeah. And we also were ready to leave Castroville. We were kind of over it at that point. Mm. And, uh, and so we came up with this idea 
of building a um, like Jurassic Park-esque distillery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we wanted to build it on the island of St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, that was our plan. Okay. And so we'd found... <laughs> <laughs> we found an old dairy farm on St. Thomas, yeah, and uh, and we had built this entire business plan around how to buy this dairy farm in St. Thomas, and then cut a series of rivers that would connect all the different buildings in the dairy farm, and then put the fermentation building in one, and then put the still building in the other, mm. and then create a lab, and then build an automated computer system that would talk to you all the way through, and she would run the distillery, and it was only after about an hour inside this tour you realized there were no people, yeah, uh, which I figured would be super cool. <laughs> And, uh, and so I went out pitching it to different private equity firms to pay for it because we still, like the thing about being a little tiny sought after cult distillery is you don't get paid in money, you get paid in prestige points. Yeah. So you oscillate between like, you know, top ramen and, you know, chefs tasting menus at super famous restaurants with mm-hmm. journalists. <laughs> and there's really nothing in between those two, <laughs> you know. Um, and so... Uh, so we ended up going out and pitching these guys, and one of the private equity firms said yes. And we thought, amazing, wow. we just raised two million bucks to go build this like super amazing wonder distillery. And, uh, and then I had to meet the CFO. And you know, it never goes well. Like I try to even avoid meeting with my own CFO when I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just don't like me, I scare them. <laughs> and, uh, and so we sat down with this guy, and that was the end of the deal. And, uh, and so we came home and went like, okay, you know, I think we're ready to not be retired anymore. I'm not quite sure what we're going to do or where we're going from here. Uh, you know, the context of the original Lost Spirits was it was like Joanne and my retirement project. We had, uh, we had made a two-acre Japanese tea garden. We spent most of our time fussing over growing moss on rocks in the correct way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and at this point, we were ready to go back to work. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, had, we were pretty beat up from the first distillery in Spain at the end of that. We were tired. We needed seven years off to do chemistry all day. Uh, and so, you know, at this point we were like, all right, uh, let's go figure this out. So we just decided to publish all the data and, and sort of chips fall where they may. We were just going to show the world what we did and tell them what we did. Yeah. And, uh, and we got plenty of potential partners that showed up at the door, ranging from big distillery companies to, uh, you know, retired CEOs of large distillery companies or, you know, big conglomerates and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And everybody wanted us to go in a technology licensing business, or I should say everyone who wanted to fund it wanted us to go in the technology licensing direction. So your, your process is patented then? You, mm-hmm. you, you got all the IP? Oh yeah, no, my biggest single expense is yeah. intellectual property lawyers. Okay. <laughs> um, all over the world, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a project. Uh, and so we went like, okay, we're gonna do this. So we moved to, to uh, Silicon Valley, we rented a startup house. Um, in a town called Morgan Hill. It was super fun. It was a giant three-story house with a, its own tennis courts and swimming pools. And it was this whole neighborhood of startup houses where um, people go to do different innovative, com- innovative companies in Silicon Valley. Yeah. So like the house up above us on the hill was the best one in our little neighborhood. Uh, that was the house where they'd created iTunes originally. Oh, wow. And, and the guy just kept it afterwards. And so uh, he, he actually had to run around in his backyard on a Segway. It was so big. Uh, but yeah, so uh, so we settled in there, uh, hired an engineering team, got to work on trying to figure out how to build automation software to run this stuff safely, and and it just became a lot of really pretty serious business really quickly. Mm-hmm. And there was a point a couple of years later where we were going, you know, I, I kind of miss having a distillery. And so Joanne and I looked at each other and we were like, yeah, we should go build another one. And so there was a lot of steps in between there that I think I can, you probably yeah. don't need. But so we... Uh, you know, we ended up deciding where we're we gonna go, and we went okay. We're either gonna do 
Bushwick in New York. Yeah, um, <laughs> I can see that. Uh, downtown Los Angeles in the Arts District or uh, Oakland. And so we went and looked at all the different cities and looked at what they had in terms of zoning programs and mm-hmm. different incentives or whatever. And, uh, and we settled on downtown Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, and so we came here, found a building, and then we got to sit down and go, okay, if we're, we can't rebuild the old original distillery again. Like, the problem is that we've already published all of this material, we've already gotten all of this, like, you know, news media everywhere all over the world over the technology stuff. There's really no way we can go back to being the little boutique mom-and-pop handmade whiskey from Exotic Pete. Yeah. Like, it just isn't going to work. It's not going to translate the same way. Um, and, uh, and so we thought, well, what would a distillery look like if it didn't have the walk into the giant stone vault full of the barrels? You know, what would that thing be um, if you were in, going into the super high-tech space? And so we went back to the original Virgin Islands concept and, and went like, okay, let's, uh, let's put in a river. Uh, you know, and we'll and create tasting rooms. I was really heavily inspired by um, a couple of restaurants because uh, I really tend to think of the restaurant industry as being maybe a bit ahead of the distilled spirits industry. Okay. Um, like a, like sort of if you fast forward 25 years, uh, I think the distilled spirits industry is going to look a lot more like the restaurant industry does. And uh, and so I was looking at um, a place called UV uh, in Shanghai, and a, mm. a place called. Um, Oh, what the heck is Ferran Adria's new place called? Uh, Enigma. Okay. And, and both of them were using this concept where you would walk into the dining room, and then the dining room would either change or you would go from dining room to dining room to dining room where the room was built around the dish. Oh, that sounds really cool. Yeah. See, one of the things that sort of reminded me, too, had you been to Sleep No More, that sort of thing in New York? I actually haven't been to Sleep yeah. No More, but I'm very, very familiar. Yeah. Uh, that was a, my first thought when I walked in. I'm like, oh my god, it's like Sleep No More. <laughs> it was definitely an inspiration, to be sure, along yeah. with Alice's Adventures Underground. And, oh, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. And, and some of those other ones. Twin Peaks, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's what I thought as soon as I walked in. Oh my god, we're in the red room. <laughs> <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so... Uh, so that was very much like a, an inspiration was the idea of trying to create rooms for the spirits, yeah. where each place you're tasting it would be themed to it. And then also putting it in the real distillery. Like, I didn't want to go build an off-site tasting room. Yeah. Like, I wanted you to actually be in the actual place where it's made, looking at the actual equipment. It's sort of like our internal motto when we're building and designing stuff is all the jokes are real. Yeah. Uh, you know? I mean, you can make it as funny as you want or as strange or bizarre, but whatever it is, it still has to be the actual thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know? Uh, like, you can't do a prop just for a prop's sake. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we decided to sort of build this really strange, unusual distillery. Uh, and it sort of starts off with the you know, inspiration of the Pirates of the Caribbean for the Navy rum. Uh, and then wanting to figure out how to build sort of like our funny take on the Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, and then building the rum distillery sort of in the, in the Singapore set. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it goes into high tech land, and then, I mean, yeah, you want to like the, the dragons on top of the stills and everything. Else. That's become kind of our signature hallmark. That was um, that was a thing from the very first distillery uh, when we were building in Monterey County. Uh, sorry, the dragons have their own story. Uh, I don't oh, know if boy. it was on your tour. <laughs> I don't think it was. No. So, uh, so when we were building the original distillery in Monterey County, we got stuck with um, about more or less two and a half months 
of sitting around with nothing to do. Now, there's always this period at the end of building a distillery where you're waiting for government regulators to do government regulator-like things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so for like two and a half months, we're just sitting there staring at all the equipment all built, ready to go, and you can't use it. Oh. And, uh, and so I was working on all the formulas, but I was also had just finished building the stills. So I had this big pile of scrap copper. And I was kind of looking at the still, and there was this old 19th century absinthe still I had seen from France. Absinthe or cognac, I'm not sure which. Okay. And they had cast a swan's head at the end of the neck. And so it had the swan's neck on the still, but it actually had like a swan's head where it went into the condenser. Oh, wow. And I was looking at, or thinking about this, this image and going, that would be so cool, but it wouldn't be a swan's head on ours because there still doesn't look like that. Like, I think a dragon. That goes with the peat smoker pagoda and the Japanese tea garden. Yeah, yeah, there's sort of like a 19th century Mm -hmm. Far East vibe, so. Yeah, and and that mostly came from uh, originally at the distillery in Monterey County. It was because we needed to have a a pagoda on top of the peat smoker because you can't have a peat smoker without a pagoda. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just a long-running tradition. And uh, and so we decided we'd have the world's smallest peat smoker, but we'd build a full-size pagoda. Uh, and so we built the full-size pagoda on top of the peat smoker that was the size of a pickup truck bed. Oh, God. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, like an eight-foot pagoda on it. And, uh, and then we stepped back and thought, well, we should just keep the theme going. And so that was kind of how the design happened. But, yeah, so at any rate, I took all the scrap copper, turned it into a dragon head, stuck it on the end of the still. And, uh, and actually, if you have a whiskey nerd audience, they will really appreciate this. When we, we built the company and called it Lost Spirits. Yeah. With the idea in mind of bringing back a type of American whiskey called steam bourbon, uh, which I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It was called steam bourbon or bourbon steam. Is it similar to like steam beer? Is that same concept or is not quite? Mm. It was a uh, so so here was it was actually a fascinating piece of history that no one seemed to care about except me. Um, it was a uh, originally when the colonists came to America, sheet metal was very 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 expensive. They didn't have any metal manufacturing facilities in the U.S. And so they had to, to ship all of the sheet metal all the way from Europe. And so they were trying to minimize the amount of sheet metal used to make a, a still. And they came up with the idea of cutting down a, bit, a tree, either a chestnut or an oak tree. Mm-hmm. And then they would hollow out the tree like a canoe. And they'd cut a hole in the top, strap the tree back together with leather straps that would squeeze it tight, fill it up with their mash, and then they'd put a copper head on top of the tree um, and a condenser at the end, and then they'd light the tree on fire. And that was how you ran the still. Oh my god. I know, right? <laughs> so they originally called what these... What could possibly uh, go wrong? <laughs> yeah, everything, <laughs> right? So they called these log and copper stills. And uh, by the time they got to the Industrial Revolution, they had the ability to make normal copper stills like everyone in Europe was yeah. doing. But they noticed that there was a certain flavor lost um, from not having it cook in the wood the way that they were doing it in the early colonial era. Mm-hmm. So they made these new stills that were called log and copper stills as well, but made it a much later era where they would take a giant cask or a barrel and they'd run steam coils inside the barrel and then they would fit the still head on top. Oh, okay. And it actually does totally change the, the character of the booze in really interesting ways. Um, and so we decided we were going to build the first one of those that anybody had made in over 100 years and we'd call the company Lost Spirits and be able to bring back this ancient antiquated form of bourbon. Anyway, the, the, the sort of long story short is no one cared. Um, mm. But everybody wanted to come out and get their picture taken with the dragon head. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so we ended up on the cover of Distilling Magazine and all the rest of the stuff because it was a still with a dragon head on it. Yeah. And so ever since, I viewed those as good luck charms, and I always put a dragon head on every still. Well, that's very cool. And, <laughs> and you are also, you know, 
you don't have just one. You have two boat rides. Uh, I mean, one of them is more of a, a floating carousel. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to sort of whet people's appetites without going into too much detail because I really want people to come here and see it. I don't want to give away <laughs> the whole tour, but um, I mean, yeah, there's there's like a Pirates of the Caribbean style boat ride. There's a carousel, and it just gets so cool because it gets dark. Suddenly, it's pitch black, and it was actually oddly calming mm-hmm. just to sit there. And I'm like, oh, don't turn the lights back on yet. And then you see little speckles of light. So it's mm-hmm. like stars in the sky, and I'm like, oh, this is this is great. Yeah, the carousel in the Starfield. I, I will tell you, I've actually spent about two hours in that Starfield uh, when I wanted to just unwind and have a drink. It's very meditative. <laughs> I mean, it's like it reminds me, you know, of you know, I used to do acupuncture, and one of the things that I I, I don't know if any of it worked. I mean, I'm you know the the jury's still out on the science behind it. Um, but the one thing that I, I just loved about it was just being able to lie flat and close my eyes for like 45 minutes because I just got into a deep trance because mm-hmm. I would come back from a really stressful day. And then I was like, so there, there's something to be said for just being in the dark and just kind of... Oh, relaxing. yeah, and it also it heightens your senses too. So the the, uh, the spirits become more pungent and become more dense. And yeah. uh, you, know, you, you actually get this effect of like whatever it is you're drinking or eating when you're in that sensory deprivation environment becomes more of it, yeah. you know, because your senses just turn up to an 11. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of a really fun part of it, too. And, and also, um, one, of the, one of the aspects I find really interesting, too, is, like, everybody um, running the tour, I mean, you're all so very well rehearsed. I mean, it's like there's everybody's playing a role. I mean, there's almost a Carney Barker aspect to it. It's just... <laughs> yeah, the show aspect of it is really fun. Um, and we do it so many times in a given day. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I mean, can imagine. It must be exhausting. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, we rotate. So, I mean, it's it's actually not like you come in and just go spend 15 hours giving tours. Uh, so each one of the segments has, um, like, three rotating guides. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, even though, like, to you when you're on the tour, it feels like everyone's on doing that all the time, they actually rotate out constantly. Oh, that's good. Yeah, drive people crazy. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's not that much different than, you know, a stand-up comic going on tour and doing the same set every night, mm-hmm. night after night, or or a stage actor performing the same show. Yeah, it's probably true. I mean, the, the other really fun aspect is that most of your tour guides are the people who also make the booze. Yeah, that's uh, that's so a that's really <laughs> cool thing. That's the one thing. It's like, oh, here comes our distiller. So, you know, I'm expecting... Um, uh, what was his name? Taryn? Was uh-huh. Um, uh, I'm expecting him to come out and be like, you know, your, your typical sort of um, booze geek distiller, you know, just kind of soft-spoken. But he comes out and he's like... <laughs> bombastic and just very <laughs> pitch perfect and I mean it must have taken a lot of Well actually practice. the funny part is that Taryn has a theater background. Oh he and does. When, okay. I, when I started teaching him to distill I was like oh this is going to work out perfectly. That's, that's, yeah no it's it's like it's like it's weird because it's almost like this is you know you know all actors have day jobs but this is like the the day jobs the have day actors. Jobs, yeah, the, yeah day jobs have actors exactly so that's sort of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really fun aspect of it, for sure. Yeah. And we try to keep it funny. I think the lightheartedness, uh, you know, it's because it's really easy to accidentally make it too serious. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, know? at the same time, it's you cram a lot of really good information in there. I mean, you know, I, I have a, a booze background. I know a lot of the, the basic processes and stuff like that. Um, but... Um, you know, for, for sort of the average person coming in, they get a really good education on, you know, basic 
fermentation and distillation concepts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you're not just it's not just smoke and mirrors. They're actually uh, it's it's basically like distilling one on one that you get. Mm-hmm. Here. Oh, yeah, and a little bit of a few occasional hardcore deep dives into some of the biochemistry, uh, depending on which one of the guides you get. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that varies from guide to guide in a big way, depending on how well they can deliver the chemistry side. Um, but, yeah, no, it's a, it's a heck of a lot of fun. And we had a ball building it. You know, we got to sort of just let your imagination run wild. How long did it take you to build this place? Um, well, we've never stopped. You know, I mean, so it's hard to say. We've been at it since October 2016. Okay, so you're um, almost two years into it now. Yeah, but I mean, we've never had a month where we weren't under construction. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we're always adding on to it. Yeah, because you did mention that, that you're going to be adding on to it, so probably a year from now it's going to be oh, even completely more different. different. You'll yeah. recognize it. That's why, you know, i got to come back. And <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the addition for October is going to be really fun. Yeah. That's, uh, that's we're building a Dracula-themed tasting room. Yeah, that is cool. And then I'm working on trying to make Slivovitz taste good, uh, so that you can ultimately, because in the first chapter of Dracula, he has the flask yeah, of Slivovitz yeah. under his carriage. So I'm trying to, I'm debating between building like the vampire-esque parlor, uh, or trying to figure out how to build the car- a carriage for twelve people. Like I'm not sure how big carriages actually are in terms of how many they hold. I think it's only like four people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I know. I think like in movies, I've seen them cram six, but that doesn't look very comfortable. No. So I may, I might have to build like I was debating like four carriages. Um, and then just putting everyone in the carriage and having the flask of Slivovitz uh, or mm. Slivovitz under their seat, just like in Dracula. You're gonna like dye it red <laughs> just so they think it's blood. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, actually, it's already gonna be. Um, uh, you know, you're. It comes out sort of reddish just from the age on it, because mm. uh, we'll end up using the wood and, and maturing yeah. it out. And I might add like a few drops of plum juice back, just to see if I can get it a little bit reddish and oh. you know. Sort of like I don't want to add artificial dye, but adding a little bit of plum juice to it to make it sort of purpley red to go into the. Or you just shine a red light on it. <laughs> yeah, that works too. But yeah, it'd be absolutely hilarious just to like you know sort of recreate a Dracula set, and then it's and it gives me an excuse, right? Because I'm sort of sitting around going like, well, you know, what do I want to make next? And you go, okay, well, we need to do something for October because we want to do something for Halloween. Like, yeah. Okay, well, you know, uh, I keep a literary theme to a lot of the spirits, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's like, okay. Well, Dracula is the obvious place I'm going to go here. It's either that or it's going to be Frankenstein, but I don't remember a booze reference in Frankenstein. Yeah, I mean, um, that was that was what that was Geneva took place in. So yeah, it was probably some kind of schnapps, I guess. Yeah, which this isn't very exciting. Yeah. Um, and so I was thinking, like, yeah, okay, Dracula has. In the, I remember in the first chapter, uh, the flask of Slivovitz underneath the seat. And so I'm like, okay, Romanian plum brandy. Let's see if we can make this not taste like paint thinner, mm. and uh, and come up with a way of making one. And then I found French um, like plum brandies and stuff uh, that are actually quite spectacular. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because a lot of things um, that have a really bad reputation for basically being lighter fluid, um, if they're made well, I mean, I, I went, I I toured a bunch of grappa distilleries in Italy earlier this year, and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone's got their own preconceived notions about grappa, but then you go to these, like, multi-generational family distilleries that are really proud of their processes. I mean, there's a real craft to it, and they make the stuff taste really, really good, and they do, like, a lot of single varietal stuff, and mm-hmm. it's just like... And unfortunately, the reputation precedes it where it's just rot yeah. gut. Somebody made a bunch of rot gut grappa, stuck grappa on yeah. the label, sold it in mass, and then all the poor customers think, oh, that's what grappa is, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> It's probably why we have the spirits categories that we do have as our dominant ones, is yeah. that whoever got to the market turned out to made a decent product. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, it's, the, 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 the funny thing about it is just how, like, still by volume, the dominant 
spirits category is the one that has no flavor or color. So. <laughs> I think, it, yeah, there's that. <laughs> so, oh well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you you look at you look at dollars, though, whiskey is still the whiskey is the big money maker. But in terms of just sheer volume, it's vodka. But yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh well, it takes all kinds. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and this is yeah. It's this is just such like an exciting experience. I'm I'm so glad to have been able to because I, I I just realized because um, um, I I known about this place since last year and I was here last year, but the the timing didn't align. And I'm like, well, I got to make sure I'm only here for a couple of days, and I wanted to check it out. And um, fortunately, when I went online. Uh, you had like one ticket left for the time that was going to work for me, so I'm like, I gotta grab this. Well, thank you so much for doing that. We really appreciate it. No, it's it's this great. This has been on my radar for a while, and I'm just you know I've, I've obviously read a lot about it, and um, I really needed to kind of see the people behind it and, and what was going on, and it was it was fun. I gotta say it was fun. It's it's um um you know there's a disney element to it but it's like who doesn't like that you know yeah and i think as long as you're not going too far with it i mean like yeah. we wanted to go sort of too far in one way mm. but at the same time it's also a really interesting thing because we now have like this whole i mean for us it's really it's actually still weird uh, you know i mean because yeah. the, the, the context of the original distillery in monterey county like, our, we had a very established customer base. Everybody had 600 bottles of whiskey at home. Mm-hmm. Like, we were something you discovered after you had reached the point where you were bored. Yeah. Uh, you know? And then all of a sudden here, it's like the, the, the sort of theatrical fun aspect of it brings in all of these people that are, you know, the, that are new to whiskey as far as, I mean, or new to any of these spirits as far as, like, I would consider it. Yeah. And so they walk in and you're like, okay, I'm going to serve you cask strength, super intense heavy pot still spirits and <laughs> here we go mm. and it's really interesting to, the theatrics i think maybe take the edge off of it just enough for them yeah that you can go basically giving people pretty intense stuff yeah and uh, and they can get into it because there's like a safe haven to that oh of aspect. course yeah uh, you know and um and then of course you've got you've got talking birds too <laughs> It's like you know if nothing else you're the only distiller with two boat rides and talking birds I'll take it, and I'll and I'll <laughs> you know I'll leave that to the the listener's imagination. Yeah, I'll take it. Is there anybody with one boat ride? There's got to be. I don't think so. I mean, I, <laughs> I see the thing is, and one thing that that kind of struck me was this is the type of thing you get when I mean anything. I mean nothing like this, but you know you get to sort of this theatrical museum-y level of of distillery when you're a big brand that's been around for 150, 200 years and you build your experience, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the, like for instance, in, um, it's a bad example, but I mean, in, 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 um, Scotland, they've got the Johnny Walker experience and Johnny Walker's, you know, uh, not a distillery cause it's a blended scotch. But the <laughs> thing is, it's like, and, and I, you know, I went to that and like the, the, the guy who was giving me the tour, he says, like, yeah, I. everybody asks me when they come in, where do they make Johnny Walker? And he's like, well, we don't actually make Johnny Walker. It's just... It's a, <laughs> right. Because it's just, it's never been, it's, you know... It's, all, it's always been a brand. Johnny but, Walker yeah. is not a distillery. You right. know? It's a... 
but um, so that like so, sort of like that you get the experience or you know even you got the the Heaven Hill Bourbon experience or something like mm-hmm. that and then um, I was just down in Jamaica for um, the opening of the um, the Appleton Estates experience and mm-hmm. like that. so it's like you reach a point in your history when um, it stops being r- sexy because you're basically like this big industrial producer and mm-hmm. people go in there you want to sort of maintain this this myth of, of you know you're sort of this small uh, you know like artisan sort of operation right. but it's hard to do when when you think of like the volume of some of these brands and it's, it's like they, they create their experience and it's good for tourists they come in and they're like oh wow I learned about a bit about how rum's made or whatever, but but here it's like you're this is like you're starting out this way. This you're starting out with the experience. <laughs> it was really fun, and the best part of it is it actually is the real production distillery. Yeah, like yeah that's absolutely. sort of the most fun part of it. And, and I get people through all the time that are like, "So where do you actually make the product?" Because this is just like your show thing. And I'm like, "No, no, no, that's the still. That's yeah. where we made it." And they're like, "It's like sculpted with a dragon head on." I'm like, "That's the point, <laughs> you know?" Yeah, like, and then you've got the <laughs> fermenting tanks that are just completely open mm-hmm. and everything like that. Yeah, so. But you're actually like looking at the real yeast yeah. bubbling away. And the and the actual still that you distilled the product on, and then when people buy a bottle and take it home, that was the place it came from. And so I think that's really a cool thing for people. Yeah. And uh, and you know, just people miss that you can do this. You know, we're, we're such a it's such a world where everybody, you know, goes. I want to build a distillery. They go buy two stills from an online coppersmith company they click the button for the boiler company and the boiler company sends them a skid mounted boiler Mm -hmm. and then they hire the plumber to hook the thing up and it's like they're you know they never actually get an opportunity to they don't make anything of their equipment they just sort of buy everything and one of the things I really love is still having our hands in the actual process of making all the equipment. Because at this point, we could have bought the equipment. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're at the point where we could have just gone and ordered the fermenters and yeah, ordered yeah, yeah. the stills. But I like sat the whole team down, and I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to teach you guys how to smith copper. We're going to make all of the fermenting tanks. We're going to build all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's going to learn how to braise. Um, and it's really fun for them because you get your hands in it mm-hmm. in a way that, that you just don't normally get an opportunity to. And then you get to tell the story to them when you're teaching them where you're going like, okay, well, you know, once upon a time when we first built these stills, they have to be built to these proportions. We're going to make one of them tall and we're going to make one of them fat. Yeah. But the proportions need to be this much surface area to this much headspace in cubic inches in order for you to get the distillate to come through this way. And they're going, well, how do you know that? And I'm going, well, when we first built the original distillery, we made miniatures of all of the different possible proportions to build the still out of mm. and then ran test batches on them. And I did those by taking like photos of, I used Lafroig's dimensions actually Uh, but you took um, photos of different distillery stills and then measured the relative proportions of the surface area and stuff on all of the different parts of the still and then built miniatures of those and then ran each product in them and keeping that ethos into the way that people within the the group now that we're you know suddenly there's dozens of us yeah uh, and keeping that in terms of the training for them and how everybody goes about doing all of the processes is kind of important to me um do we, is Joanne still here? Do you want to say a few things? I, yeah, hey, Joanne, away. you want to jump in and say hi? <laughs> no? No. No. Just say hello. Just say hi, just real quick. <laughs> yeah, 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 no. <laughs> Can't let him do all the talking. All yours, Joanne. Yeah, yeah. Oh. No, 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 you got to come around this side. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah go for just, it. Just say hello. Oh, come on, get in there. No, go say hi. No, no, say hello. You don't have to if you really, <laughs> if you really don't want to. <laughs> oh, come on. 
All right, she's she's microphone shy. Okay, Joanne's being microphone shy. All right, so we, we can we can start to wrap things up. Um, I mean, generally, um, you know, I like to uh, sort of wrap things up and ask people about like their favorite places to drink, that sort of thing. Let's talk a bit about L.A. and you know, you have some places. You know, you can give some shout outs to some people who are carrying your stuff. Oh right? yeah, no, I mean, actually, nobody carries our stuff anymore because we haven't supplied any of our wholesale distributors in oh. a year. So are you just selling it just here? Yeah, right now, 100% of our production goes into the gift shop. Oh, cool. All right. Um, but uh, that being and said... And sold by birds. <laughs> Talking birds. <laughs> that being said, though, there are plenty of places that have carried our stuff in the past yeah. and probably will in the future. And in general, are just great people and great bars. Um, what are the types of places you like to drink? So I'm a really big fan of Seven Grand in downtown LA for whiskey. Okay. That's a great bar. Um, I love Tonga Hut. Oh, oh yeah, Tonga, I love Tonga Hut. <laughs> That's such a fun I'm, place. I'm bummed that I'm not going to be able to get there this week because um, it's been a couple of years since I've been there. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, Tonga Hut. As far as like, I you know, I actually, um, you know, everybody is is in love with Tiki Tea, and I love Tiki Tea, but I, I actually prefer Tonga Hut for the for the escape aspect of it because like you're basically shut off from the outside world. Tiki Tea, the door is always open. And, yeah. There's always a line out the door. I mean, it's right. great stuff. I mean, the drinks are amazing there, and they've got a great history. But when I go to a tiki bar, I just kind of like to – I want to forget the rest of the world. Oh, yeah. And, and for me, Tonga Hut's like going to the bar and cheers. It's like you walk in and know everybody in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And that makes it half of the fun. Um, the uh, Let's see. What else would I say? Kanye is fantastic. That's a really fun one. What's it called? Kanye. Kanye. Oh, Kanye. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. And with the uh, that's, right, yeah. that's a great one. Uh, Varnish is probably our sort of top rated serious bar. Yeah, no, I've heard of Varnish. Um, uh, and that's a fantastic place to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely a more serious vibe. Yeah. Um, and uh, let's see. I don't know. That's that's probably, that's my regular like haunts. Right. Uh, that and like the Magic Castle and uh, oh, that's one place I have not been. I'm dying to go to the Magic Castle one of these days. Well, next time you're in town, let us know. And yeah, we'll, no, I want to. I totally want to do it. We'll make it happen. It looks like it's a lot of fun, and I just um, it's really cool. It's really exceptionally well done. Yeah. Uh, you know, LA has a handful of these little things that are like that. You know, because yeah. uh, aside from us and uh, and Magic Castle, there's um, there's another one called the Museum of Jurassic Technology. That's oh, really? really fantastic. Uh, it's a more heady, more intellectual version, but the same kind of concept. Oh, cool. Uh, and there's a few more of those. Awesome. But yeah. All right. So uh, just tell me, uh, when are you open for tours? How can people find you on the web, uh, yeah. social media, all that stuff? Tell me all your handles and whatnot. Yeah, so you go to our website, which is lostspirits.net. It's pretty simple to remember. It's lost like you're lost in the forest. Spirits like woo spirits.net, the thing you catch fish, catch fish with. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, from there, you can click reservations and book a tour. They're open on uh, Friday nights, Saturdays, and Sundays. And the rest of the week, we actually make uh, the spirits. You actually have to so, do the work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's actually one of the more entertaining things to see when, that we don't generally let anybody see. But when you press a button on the app, you know, the walls move, everything moves out of the way, and it actually turns into a commercial production floor. Oh, wow. And so it actually has a little bit of an element of working like a transformer. That's really cool. Um, uh, but yeah, so, uh, so yeah, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, lostspirits.net for that and then you know we're on Facebook as Lost Spirits and, uh, and we're on Twitter as Lost Spirits and we don't do much on Instagram okay uh, but yeah uh, and uh, as always you can find me at Jeff Cialetti on Twitter and Drinkable Globe on Instagram and as always the world is out there drink it up <laughs> <laughs>